Hello and welcome to our Maritime Impact podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Nyhus, Director Environment for Maritime at the DNB. Today we have a special treat for you. I'm joined by Sveinem Oftedal, who is a specialist director in the Norwegian Ministry of Climate and Environment. Sveinung has a long track record of engagement and key roles at the IMO dealing with environmental regulations for shipping. And very relevant for the topic of this podcast, Sveinung is the highly respected chairman of the IMO's working group on reduction of greenhouse gas emissions from ships. He's almost literally the beating heart of the IMO's effort to find solutions for the decarbonization of shipping. Today we'll be discussing the regulatory and policy landscape for decarbonizing shipping. In essence, we'll try to shed some light on what both the near and the distant future holds. We hope you enjoy the episode, and now on to the show. Sveinung, first and foremost, welcome to the show. I'm really pleased that you managed to find some time for us. I know you must be extremely busy in these also hectic days. Thank you, Eric. Well, we are always busy, aren't we, when we are working with decarbonization of shipping? Certainly. I mean, this has been a long slog and it's going to go on for quite a bit longer. Now, uh, before we get into the details, what lies before us uh, over the next few months, uh, the immediate reactions at the IMO and so on, I I just want to start off by asking you kind of a a broad question. Simply put, how do you think about the challenge of getting regulations and policies in place to decarbonize shipping? I mean, is it really possible? Is it doable? It's, I mean, we have a diverse industry, we have a very diverse, to put it mildly, set of countries, we have a bunch of other involved stakeholders, we have unresolved technology and finance questions, and so on and so on. Can shipping actually expect to see a robust framework coming out of the IMO processes? You're the right person to answer this, I'm sure. Let me give you a try. First, is it doable? Within time frame responding to the climate crisis and within aim to stay within the 1.5 degrees temperature goal, meaning can it happen for real? The answer is yes, but there is no room for doubt and delays by regulators and no rooms for doubt and delays by industry response. Within the maritime industry, we have a strong record for doing impossible things. Just think about the millennium, year 2000, just like yesterday, isn't it? It was a huge global trade serving uh, a global economy served by shipping. Well, today, the ton mile transported by ships is over twice as high. For 20 years, it doubled. Decarbonization is a complex, but um, uh, perhaps even more challenging uh, task than uh, doubling transportation. We have to do this with even a higher amount of transportation. Within the energy transition, ports need to do uh, upgrades, uh, shipping fleet needs to do upgrades. So we need to use our best capabilities and the brightest minds in order to do it. Um, Is it doable by regulators to orchestrate this? Yes, but of course you would need the underlying willingness. That willingness was shown when we developed the so-called short-term measures to respond to the improvement of carbon intensity by 40% by 2030. We did it during the pandemic. We had the willingness and we did it. Will we continue our work? Yes, I think so. That, that, that's good to hear. It's good news for all of us, I think. Uh, but as you say, um, it's, a, it's a complex challenge, though. Uh, and it's a, there's a long, long road to still to go here. But 
to try to focus a little bit on some of the more near-term stuff, just, you know, every long journey starts with the first steps and so on and so forth. Uh, at present, we, of course, have the EEXI, um, the CII, and the SEMP all kicking in uh, in just, uh, well, six weeks' time, essentially. At the same time, we're in the run-up to MAPC 79 in December, where we will be preparing the ground for the key decisions to be made uh, in uh, July 2023 at MPC 80. Now, can you give us highlights on what the IMO actually wants to achieve over the coming months uh, towards MAPC 80 and what the goals of MAPC 80 is going to be in that context? Well, we have already decided that at uh, the July meeting, meaning MEPC 80, we need to adopt the revised greenhouse gas strategy. And that is really important because that is establishing the framework and uh, what to achieve and how to achieve it within, uh, the ver- uh, within a defined timeline. So um, uh, that, of course, will um, be a very important uh, document for the follow-up when it comes to uh, further measures. Uh, I uh, firmly believe that uh, we will arrive at uh, a revised uh, strategy, which will be accepted by all, which will um, uh, identify, let's say, uh, what can be expected in the forthcoming years. Then, of course, uh, we are in a process where both the short-term measures, uh, which will be then revised by 1st January 2026, and also uh, the other type of measures, which is now called as the basket of measures, the mid-term measures, where, where we look into possible further requirements, possible use of market-based mechanisms, that we will be able to deliver within the time frame established. Um, at present, uh, we have uh, several proposals on the table when it comes to measures, and we have several proposals on the table when it comes to um, proposals on the content of the revised strategy. IMO has a long list of work streams when it comes to decarbonization. We are also looking into uh, the guidelines on the well-to-wake uh, life cycle assessment of uh, the various types of fuels. Uh, but um, my hope and my task is to link this all in together and um, then the key meeting will be MPC 80 in July. But of course, without success in December, it will be more difficult to arrive at a at solution in, in July 2023. I hope that was a, a kind of explan- explanation of what we can expect. That's very very good to hear that we can um, expect an agreement on strategy and, and direction uh, next summer, or at least we should hope that we will be get, get there. But to, to drill a little bit further into that one, um, we get to MPC 80, we have agreement on a strategy, hopefully, and we do have agreement on what kind of direction um, we are going to go when it comes to the basket of measures and what should be in that basket. Now, the question then obviously becomes, are we going to be negotiating those detail, the details of that basket of measures interminably, or are we going to see regulations enter into force in the reasonably near future? And if so, what kind of timeline do you think we can expect uh, for, for those regulations? Will they be, be here soon? Let's try to respond to that quite difficult question because we are talking about the future. But the key issue is, um, is it willingness? And, and the point is, in the revised strategy, we will identify uh, the willingness. 
then um, uh, I think we have a good track record at the IMO to uh, deliver within time frame identified, meaning that the actual content on the various types of regulations, uh, we need to look into what it should be contained and also there are a lot of technical uh, details meaning is it feasible to do it like this uh, can it be enforced uh, what should be accurately required by which year so uh, I think the, the latest example is the short-term measures where which we negotiated during the pandemic we worked quite fast and it has now entered into force and meaning that the shipping industry in 2023 need to comply with those requirements so um, I'm I'm optimistic when it comes to our delivery, but it it, it requires uh, the key willingness to arrive at um, uh, further emission reductions. So the time frame, uh, Eric, certainly 23 will be a key year on the revised strategy. Certainly, we have also identified that by 1st January 2026, we will revise the short-term measure. When it comes to the mid-term measures, I think that will also be negotiated in the same period. So that 25 will be a key year. And um, uh, using MARPOL, uh, we have the entry into force mechanisms identified. So some few years, but uh, not too long. Okay, so we, at least we're getting, we're getting into the second half of this decade, and then it's up to the negotiations and the, the way they play out over the next couple of years, I guess. Yes, it's a little bit ahead, but I, I think already now I can see that uh, a larger part of the industry already prepare for the next phase, you know, uh, in looking into what type of uh, uh, ship will you have uh, in your new building program that is uh, already in preparation by the shipping industry. I, I, I think I can see that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think we'll be getting back to that uh, in, a sh- in a short while, actually. Uh, but before we dive a little bit more deeper into what the shipping industry is, is doing. I, I also want to try to bring us a little bit into the um, out of the international regulatory space and into the more national and regional uh, regulatory uh, space, because w- one of the challenges we see from, from the shipping community side is, of course, that we we, we have um, regional and national regulatory developments that overlap uh, and are uh, in sometimes uh, even in. I wouldn't say necessarily conflict, but at least trying to address the same things that the IMO is addressing in its international regulatory framework. So we have the EU, of course, with the Fit for 55 package. We have the potential UK ETS. We have local regulations, including in Norway. Um, Now, when the IMO really starts getting the massive packages rolled out over the next few years, do you think we'll be seeing rollback of these national and regional regulations? Or will we kind of have to live with this uh, uh, regulatory fragmentation, uh, irrespective of what uh, goes on at the IMO over the next few years? The answer is no. I don't think we will see a rollback for various reasons. Uh, first, I, I think the EU will land the Fit for 55 package and include the measures proposed for shipping. <clears throat> will that be removed when the IMO uh, scale up uh, IMO measures in the future? I don't think so. Uh, why? Uh, simply because uh, the EU has, uh, let's say, a further goal when it comes to emission reductions towards 2050. And also, if you look into um, inclusion of the EU ETS, uh, you will then also 
include uh, a flow of money into the EU system, which they can use for the transformation of the EU into a climate resilient future. So I don't think that the EU will, let's say, uh, give away that, uh, meaning that um, uh, all industries, I think, can prepare for that will remain. When it comes to national measures, I think many of those are st- stimulations, meaning uh, grants and, and various schemes, but also uh, uh, it can include carbon tax and, and certain requirements. Now, I think domestic shipping is included in the Paris Agreement. And for some countries like Norway, this is a kind of uh, important uh, element when it comes to our emissions, meaning that we need, in order to fulfill our Paris Agreement, continue our work on, on domestic emission reduction. So the packages we have in place is to fulfill our Paris Agreement um, obligation. So, Eric, I think you will have uh, the global regulations of the IMO coming into, uh, let's say, uh, which will be then further developed, uh, combined with the regional and national uh, mechanisms. So uh, multiple uh, layers of uh, regulations is something we're going to have to live with uh, for the foreseeable future then. Um, No no surprise there, to be honest, but uh, it's good to have a a clear-eyed perspective on that. But it does bring us to, um, uh, since you mentioned the Paris Agreement, uh, that's a nice segue, actually, because it brings us into COP27, which is ongoing now as uh, we record this. And obviously, um, that meeting has not yet closed. By the time this podcast goes to live, it will have been close so we may know more but at this we still have had some uh, interesting developments so we've had uh, announcements by among others norway and the u.s regarding this initiative called the green shipping challenge which really contains a very broad range of shipping related decarbonization initiatives so uh, since norway has such a prominent role in that work and of course given uh, norway's role as a shipping nation and so on and so forth i was wondering can, can you tell us a little bit more about what the green shipping challenge is uh, and also maybe what it isn't, because I take it for granted that it's not part of any effort to shift responsibility for decarbonization away from the IMO towards the UNFCCC. Interested to hear your thoughts. First, the green shipping chalice is not a, a regulation. It's not an obligation. It's an invitation. Invitation to member states and to industry uh, to come forward with uh, further actions to uh, stimulate uh, the transition of uh, shipping into a decarbonized future. Meaning that what we have seen as a response to that challenge is that uh, further uh, policies, further initiative on green shipping corridors, uh, further um, um, possible investment plans, both by shipping industry, by ports, um, by governments have been put on the table. So this is not in conflict with any type of activity at the IMO or at the EU or whatever. It is uh, simply an initiative stimulating stronger efforts to decarbonize shipping. And I think it's very positive for the, for shipping because here also there will be um, stimulus and support and uh, um, well further uh, investment plans for decarbonization. So I hope that was a kind of explanation what it is. Uh, it was Biden and, and the Prime Minister Sturr who took the initiative and uh, launched it and we may will make sure that there will be a continuation to to uh, have um, have these initiatives being uh, uh, coming in, into real um, uh, real um, plans and real uh, investments thank you that was quite clear and it you know it's certainly interesting uh, that I mean th- this has 
generated a lot of interest uh, in the industry. We see, we see um, not only the media coverage, but also the, just from the initiatives themselves that there, there is a lot of activity uh, that is uh, being, being planned and thought about now. And it's a good thing, obviously, because one of the key challenges we see with any kind of transition is kind of a fundamental one, you know, how to get it going, how to accelerate it. And the green shipping challenge certainly falls into the bucket of uh, um, activities intended to do that. Uh, now, we, we it also underpins the fact that, as you alluded to earlier, it's not all about regulations. We need technology development. We need innovative finance mechanism. We need some way to incentivize early movers. We need potential potentially to see public-private partnerships and so on. And Norway has obviously engaged in this space over many years. Um, So do you have any thoughts and maybe experiences you can share on on how national governments can contribute in this public-private partnership space? Yeah. I can first. I have to give my compliments to the industry because I, I'm overwhelmed by the activity going on now, by the many projects, by the solutions being developed, and the willingness in order to implement and employ them. Um, uh, but of course, uh, you need to have uh, green numbers in, in in your account. You need to to find is it is it uh, really economically uh, um, uh, solid uh, projects. Now, there I think uh, several governments can can make a change, meaning because we have stimulus programs uh, in at least in Norway and we have uh, also that in other places, including EU funds. So um, uh, in order to uh, decarbonize shipping, it will be a huge uh, investments need. Now, in this phase, uh, it is not possible to accelerate that without uh, having uh, the finance ready, meaning that there is also a role for governments in order to pri- um, um, prioritize that. And, and we, we are doing this for our domestic shipping. Uh, uh, and uh, let's see how far we can, can, can make it. And uh, we can see it is also happening to some extent in the uh, EU and also the EU Innovation Fund is open for applications by shipping industry. So uh, it is absolutely needed. Um, Of course, uh, stressed uh, national budgets around the world uh, may be a a challenge, but um, uh, it is important to, to have... Uh, funds coming early into uh, in in order to ensure that the transition really can can a- a- accelerate now. Well, th- thank you very much for that, Sveinung. And uh, I think we could have uh, carried on here for a long time, but in the interest of time, um, uh, I, th- I think we need to try to wrap it up. But uh, be- before I let you go, I I want to ask you one simple yet maybe difficult question, though I think you answered it at the, at the outset here. But nevertheless, I want you to, uh, if you can, uh, give me a straight answer. <laughs> Only yes or no allowed, uh, no hedging. And, and the question is simply, will shipping actually be able to decarbonize? The answer is yes. Uh, I think we, we can see the willingness. I can see the momentum is growing. Uh, we can see that technological challenges um, uh, is being resolved. However, of course, we also dependent that all the other segments like the energy transition is able to serve shipping industry. And then shipping industry will be able to serve global economy with zero emissions at some sunny day. I take that as a firm yes. Uh, we all live in an interconnected economy, so shipping will obviously not be able to do everything on its own. But still, I read that as a firm yes. So there you have it. An optimistic outlook from one of the key policymakers. Thank you very much for joining me today, Sveinung. It's been a real pleasure getting your perspective on what's happening. 
be good to see you in London in December and good luck with all the IMO meetings you'll be seeing over the next few months. Thank you very much, uh, Eric. It was really uh, good to have this conversation with you and uh, thank you very much. So, to the key takeaways. The IMO is hard at work, both on revising the greenhouse gas strategy and on considering new additional regulations. And while this is complex work, we can fully expect to see decisions imminently, leading to the entry into force of new regulations later this decade. But we should also note that shipping decarbonization efforts are not only about the IMO, they're also about initiatives taken by industry and companies themselves, they're about public-private partnerships, and also about state-to-state collaboration. And we are seeing progress. All in all, I have to admit to feeling quite optimistic after talking to Sveinung. There is no doubt that there is a lot of challenging work to be done, but it also seems that decarbonization is gaining momentum. And that's good news for us, it's good news for the industry, it's good news for the planet. Thank you for joining us for this episode. You've been listening to the Maritime Impact Podcast from DNV with me, Eric Nyhus. There are few people closer to shipping's journey to decarbonization than Sveinung, so it was a pleasure to have him on the podcast and hear his valuable insights. Our next episode will take a wider view and discuss how the regulatory discussions are affecting the shipping markets in general. If you haven't already, please go back and take a listen to the earlier episodes in this season, where we discuss the current state of the EU's Fit for 55 package and DNV's maritime forecast to 2050. And if you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to give us a rating or a review. Thank you for listening. <laughs>